Hey, why don't we pray and we'll get into uh, this passage this morning. Loving God, um, now as we turn uh, to your word, your inspired word to us from Luke's gospel, uh, would your Holy Spirit illuminate our hearts to your truth, uh, that we might grasp uh, the meaning of this, that it might warm our hearts with affection for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, today, as providence would have it, providence of God would have it, I certainly didn't uh, plan it that way, but I, I did kind of, I was amused when I realised what had happened. But our, our reading today uh, has fallen in line with Mother's Day and we're dropping into some some sacred soil uh, of, a, of a prenatal discussion, uh, secret women's business uh, that only the brave or the foolish or pregnant mums kind of participate in. You know, whenever I start to uh, tell a story uh, from, say, one of Sandy's pregnancies, I get that look from Sandy and just about everybody in the room that says, yeah, you better tread carefully with this. You better you better handle this uh, with care. Um, this is not a space uh, that you play around in foolishly. Um, it's not a space that you come to unqualified. Uh, it's not a time to be disrespectful or misrepresent things, kind of distort the facts for a bit of humor you don't play with the details of of pregnancy or childbirth Uh, none of you want to be part of more than one or you want to see um, the product kind of grow to maturity our boy uh, dr luke is eminently uh, qualified to to tell us this story to bring this story to us both being both uh, a doctor and a historian of of meticulous and particular care with the facts. Uh, so we can imagine, uh, you know, Mary just sitting there and just being quite comfortable sharing with Luke uh, these intimate and personal and, and really miraculous uh, details of this story. And then we can imagine how the Holy Spirit uh, just did the editing of, you know, what was Luke to write up so that it, we would read it and that we too would grasp uh, from this little prenatal uh, conversation the same confidence that these two mums gained uh, and then out of that that we too would have our hearts warmed, that we would magnify God because of what he is doing in human history uh, through uh, their two children. You know, God uh, in his grace writes people uh, into his story of salvation uh, and in, it's kind of an extraordinary insight into the character of God. The Bible records and shows us that God is constantly uh, writing us into his story, seeking us, uh, bringing us back to him, despite our constant uh, rejection of him and mistrust of him. Um, his love towards us is revealed through this. It's, it's far greater than our indifference towards him. And at this point in time uh, of the story that God has been writing, it's been some 400 years uh, since he'd actually written anyone into uh, this, his story in a significant way. And indeed, by now, the people were longing uh, for a new a person to arise, for a new chapter to begin, uh, longing for the Messiah even to come. And indeed, now the time has come for God to finalize uh, and to bring into completion every promise that he'd ever spoken uh, through a prophet, every promise he'd made uh, to a king, uh, everything he'd ever said uh, through one of the characters to, to people in human history. 
But who is it that he chooses to act through? Not, a, not another great king, not, not another great prophet, not another great military leader or, or pious religious figure. Uh, this time he chooses to write into his story uh, two mums. Well, actually two women that God calls into uh, motherhood uh, via an angelic announcement and divine intervention. Uh, though it's vastly different, it's also incredibly similar sort of miraculous pregnancies uh, that begin their motherhood. Indeed, so far in Luke's account of these two women um, and their pregnancies, it's been a story of comparison and contrast. Uh, two women are written into redemption history by God. Elizabeth is a senior citizen. Uh, Mary is a teenager. Uh, two mums at either end of a very improbable scale. You know, Elizabeth, very old, barren, her whole married life. And then uh, Mary, young, uh, still a virgin and yet to be married. Elizabeth, whose son is said to have, a, is said to be great, but it's a limited greatness. And then Mary's son has unlimited greatness. Elizabeth's son, John, will be filled uh, by the Holy Spirit to, to prepare the hearts of people. Mary's son, Jesus, is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth's child would prepare the way for, for the coming of God. And Mary's child, Jesus, is the coming of God uh, in the flesh. And Luke wants us to see that these two children, while having similar stories, are very, very different in their realities. John, the miracle child of Zechariah and Elizabeth, would be the last of the old old covenant prophets. And Jesus, the son of God, uh, would be the one in whom the new covenant of grace is established and, and, and brought into the lives of people. You know, Elizabeth is sitting at home marveling at the favor of God to her to take away her reproach and shame that she's had throughout her life. And now we see Mary out on the road, heading toward the hill country, uh, pregnant, her mind racing uh, as as with haste. Uh, she seeks out her cousin Elizabeth to share and discuss uh, her own news and the news that she's heard about her cousin Elizabeth. And, you know, this is the first evidence that we get of the historic accuracy of this story. Uh, had this journey been initiated by news to Joseph, uh, he would have finished off the building project that he was working on. Uh, he would have then gone and organized the tools and just made sure they're all in the right spot in the shed. He would have gone and stacked the wood in the wood pile in a dry place, gone inside, checked the footy scores, and then he would have set off at a leisurely pace to the hill country. After spending as much time as possible to put off having uh, personal uh, conversations. That's kind of how men are when it comes to uh, their faith and their life and, and just having these deep personal conversations. Not women. We are told that Mary arose with haste. Uh, she's keen for a chat. She's keen uh, for a conversation with another mum. Mary and Elizabeth share a unique journey of giving birth to children of promise. And they are the first people to know that God has ended his silence and is now acting in human history in, in miraculous and, and, and beautiful ways to save his people. 
but it's a 160 kilometer journey uh, from uh, Nazareth up in the north, up in Galilee, uh, down to the house of Zachariah down south in the hill country that's just out to the west of Jerusalem. It, it's a journey of faith and trust in itself. Now, we don't know if Joseph went. It's, it's not actually recorded. But at a bare minimum, uh, Joseph, given the nature of his character that we know about, would have organized the trip for Mary, would have made sure she's on a caravan and some sort of safe uh, way of getting down to Elizabeth's house. When Mary arrives at Zachariah's house, you know, she is maybe one to two weeks pregnant depending on how quickly joseph could have hooked up a ride for her so just as a side note but a very important one what takes place next uh, as told by you know mary uh, to dr luke who who edits his gospel under the inspiration of the holy spirit casts an extraordinary light into the conversation of the personhood uh, of a child from um, conception to birth Elizabeth, who is six months pregnant, says that the baby in her womb leapt for joy at the voice of the mother of her Lord, written in present tense. Her Lord is not yet to be her Lord, like like he's under construction, he's waiting for his humanity or he's waiting for his divinity. He is her Lord, present tense. Elizabeth recognizes that the child, that her child has had an abnormal uh, reaction to Mary's voice that she actually calls joy. So she knows that the fetus that's grown in her womb is a person, is a person with emotions. But more than that, she recognizes that the life growing in Mary is nothing less than her Lord because of the joy that her child has expressed. You know, it's possible at this point that Jesus isn't even an embryo. Like, yet he is her Lord, fully human, fully divine, Elizabeth's Lord. However, the debate over the beginning of personhood is not the primary focus of Luke here. It's just a symptom, just a great kind of conversation to have with your life. Rather, these two mums with similar but contrasting backstories are holding a spirit-inspired, uh, prophetically orientated uh, prenatal conversation about the roles and the realities of their unborn children and the goodness of God. Uh, one of these children is the forerunner to the Messiah, announcing and preparing the hearts for his arrival, and the other one is the Messiah, a God in the flesh uh, here in the world. It certainly is a spirit-inspired conversation that has, has triggered Elizabeth's interpretation of her yet-to-be-born child, John, uh, his reaction to the sound of Mary's voice. When Luke describes for us the response of Elizabeth's baby, he uses a word that is consistently used uh, to describe um, exultation, uh, rejoicing, joy. Uh, often it's, it's attached to the images of sheep jumping and, and leaping, cattle jumping and leaping, even mountains jumping and leaping for joy is attached to this word. It's more significant than what she would have been used to, normal utero movements. And so Elizabeth joins in the rejoicing. And like her unborn son is filled with the spirit. And like him, she recognizes uh, that she is now actually in the presence of her Messiah. 
The angel had said that John, her child, would be filled with the spirit from his mother's womb and and empowered uh, by the spirit to bear witness to God's salvation and prepare the hearts of many people to receive that salvation, to grasp it. You know, this is John the Baptist's first sermon, if you like. It's his, it's his first action of bearing witness to the Lordship of Jesus. Filled with the Spirit, he recognizes the presence of the Son of God and he leaps for joy. And his mother's heart is the first one to be prepared to receive this good news. Crazy, 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 but beautiful, uh, beautiful, beautiful. I told you this was a deeply intimate conversation and miraculous in its nature and content now this little prenatal conversation that's going on you know the recognition of jesus as god's salvation is always going to be something that makes a person leap with joy in their heart occasionally might make them leap for joy physically the most important thing that Elizabeth has to say here is not the double blessing uh, that she speaks over Mary, but the words that she says in relation to Jesus. The child in Mary's womb is my Lord. It's a direct quote from Psalm 110 verse 1. David uses it with reference to the, the coming Messiah, uh, king of unchallenged power and authority. Elizabeth with great joy refers to the unborn child Jesus as uh, this Messiah, the promised king uh, to David. It's a moment of radical humility as well by Elizabeth. For the past six months, she has been uh, the big and exciting news, if you like. But now she praises God uh, for what he is doing through Mary. These words, the words of Elizabeth would have been extraordinary, unbelievably encouraging for, for Mary to hear. This esteemed woman, this, this noble woman, this, this daughter of a priest married to another priest now makes much of a peasant girl, Mary, insignificant girl from nowhere, uh, in a nowhere town. Um, Elizabeth says with a double blessing that she is a woman of unparalleled faith, that Mary is this woman of unparalleled faith and blessing and favor because she has believed uh, in the fulfillment of what God had promised to her and indeed what God has promised to all people. And Luke lets us into this little prenatal conversation so that we might have the same kind of certainty that Elizabeth has of how God has come good on all his promises in the most miraculous way. And at the center of all of these promises is this unborn child of Mary's. And how if we grasp that like Elizabeth does and as Mary will, that should lead us uh, to warm our hearts with affection for God and to magnify him for his goodness. And as we do, like Elizabeth is, we encourage other people's faith, those around us. Well, it's enough. Uh, these words from Elizabeth are enough uh, to drop all the pondering, all the thinking of Mary's mind uh, into her heart. And Mary just explodes with her own song of praise from her heart as Elizabeth's words finally help her grasp fully all that she's been trying to make sense of uh, ever since she first heard the news about Jesus. For four days of thinking now finds its expression in essentially what is the first uh, Christmas carol uh, ever to be written, the Magnificat. 
it's one of actually four um, nativity hymns, and they only appear in Luke's gospel, uh, which makes the good Dr. Luke not just uh, a historian of first rank order, but also the church's first uh, hymn writer. Well, Mary moves from belief in her head, from knowing something to be undeniably true, to faith in her heart. There's a difference between the two, you see. Faith in her heart that would turn her whole world upside down and give her the kind of certainty of faith yeah, in, in, in who God says Jesus is. Faith that would actually and eventually hold her in place and comfort her even under um, you know, the extreme trauma of watching her own son being crucified uh, for the sins of the world. But for now, it's unrestrained joy. And her soul magnifies the Lord, her spirit rejoices, her spirit leaps in God my Saviour. To magnify, you know, it means to enlarge. And what Mary wants to enlarge was her vision and our vision of God. She wants to sing not about her position as the mother of God, but about the greatness of God, who would write someone as lowly as her into his story of redemption. She is not blessed because of who she is, but because of who God is and what he is doing in human history. And she just wants to light his majesty up. Mary is singing with a whole being. She is praising God. Uh, uh, the, the, the use of soul and the spirit are, are not um, separate things. It's just merely restating the, the one reality that she has come to know in the core of her being. That she is a sinner who needs a saviour. And now she has seen and heard and experienced and trusted in the grace of God towards her to save her. Mary might be the mother of Jesus, but Mary also needs to be saved by Jesus. God has brought salvation into human history. Uh, now he is bringing uh, the soul of Mary into salvation. Her song, too, is inspired by the Holy Spirit and it sweeps up. Um, Vivid images and promises from the old, from the old testament. Uh, Phil Riken, uh, notes that there are echoes from Hannah's prayer. Um, there are allusions to, to verses from Genesis and Deuteronomy, first and second Samuel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. It's as though Mary, uh, pours the whole history of scripture out into this song. She herself has had a mum who poured the word of God into her heart. And now Mary, as God's um, work in the world intersects well, with her life, she uses the exalted language that she has learned from sitting on her mum's knee and just hearing about the goodness of God now to magnify God. In her song, Mary praises God for many of his divine attributes. She worships God for his mighty power, the power that overshadowed her to make real the virgin conception of Jesus. She honors God's pristine holiness, the holiness that now resides in the sinless son of God. She magnifies the mercy of God for sinners, sinners like her. She praised 
the everlasting faithfulness to, of God for keeping his promises. This is a picture of, of real worship shaped by scripture, shaped by fact. It's not some subjective kind of made up feeling. It's not dwelling on how uh, this has blessed her but rather rejoicing in the character of God, the known truth of God. And as she magnifies God, two great themes emerge in her praise with respect to how the majesty of God will will transform lives. God deserves to be worshipped also because he lifts up the humble and he humbles the proud. The first half of this song is is all about how God, uh, through his grace, reverses the personal uh, posture of an individual uh, like her. And the second half is all about how God reverses the power systems of a broken world, a sinful world through Jesus. Mary understood that the coming of Christ would turn both the hearts of people and the world upside down. That this, that this Messiah would be the exact opposite of everything everybody ever expected, completely change how it is that we understand and approach God. In Jesus, God takes the conventional standards of greatness and significance of religious approval and he flips them over uh, on their heads. The proud are scattered and undone by this kind of grace. Grace will not allow you uh, to save yourself through uh, your goodness, through your self-sufficiency. However, in grace, the humble are put back together. Those who recognize their need, those who recognize their need to be saved are lifted up. Those who have trusted in their riches are still left seeking more. No amount of riches, no amount of personal achievement, of unrestrained self-indulgence kind of brings satisfaction and peace. But the hungry are filled by grace. And in God, they find their fiercest longings of their soul satisfied. You see, grace to the soul that Jesus brings is like wind to the to a boat. Uh, the same force can either bring you home or smash you against the rocks, depending on how you receive it. Mary worshipped God with all she was and everything she had, praising him with mind and soul and heart and strength because through the news attached to her unborn son, God had brought salvation and grace into her heart. and She now leaps for joy. She sang and as she did, she magnifies God. You know, Mary and Elizabeth are both patterns for us this Mother's Day of how to respond to the news about Jesus, how to discuss the news about Jesus with self-humility, with, with, with receiving of grace that brings us home rather than smashes us against the rock, and then for praising God for his grace and his mercy towards sinners. Hey, one last thing, just because it's Mother's Day. None of this happens, if you like, if two mums don't get together and share their lives, if two mums don't get together and discuss their faith. It isn't until Elizabeth actually speaks uh, um, some spirit-inspired insight and wisdom into the heart of Mary that Mary just joins the dots. Both Mary and Elizabeth 
are greatly encouraged by getting together and sharing uh, their faith and sharing their stories with each other. Their situation is obviously unique and unrepeatable in its content and the level of divine activity that's engaged there. But the principle of mums sharing life and faith from their common but contrasting experiences is one to take on board this Mother's Day. Every Elizabeth needs a Mary and every Mary needs an Elizabeth. And and, and just another thing, the value of a mum who pours the word of God into a child so that they can respond with a faith when God's grace intersects their life can never, ever be underestimated. Hey, hey, happy Mother's Day. All you mums are from Freeway. Uh, hope your day is great. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you um, for this story uh, of these two mums and this conversation that they have together that reveals the roles and the realities of of John the Baptist and, and Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, and how how one is a precursor to your grace and how the other one is actually your grace to us. And as we go on and as we learn more and more about who Jesus is and how he turns our worlds upside down, would our hearts be open to listen? And would you, in your grace, bring us home? Bring us back to a deep relationship with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.